Tonight, we are going to be in 1 Chronicles chapter 17 as we continue to go through the Bible verse by verse here in the Old Testament. As we come to 1 Chronicles chapter 17, we left off with the last week and those two chapters that went together, the celebration of the Ark of the Covenant coming to Jerusalem, that treasure chest, if you will, gold laden with the angels over it, and the Ten Commandments in it, the second set that God gave Moses. It really identified and was recognized as God's presence among his people, and it was a beautiful event, and they pulled it off. The first time they failed because they didn't follow the directions right, according to the word of God, but then the second time it went awesome. They had an incredible feast. David put things in order to maintain what God had done, and everyone went home blessed. And so with that background, we come to chapter 17, and David's already thinking of more things he wants to do for the Lord, and we'll see what the Lord has to say about that. Chapter 17, verse 1 reads like this. Now, it came to pass when David was dwelling in his house that David said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under ten curtains. Then Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. But it happened that night that the word of God came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, You shall not build me a house to dwell in. For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I bought, brought up Israel, even to this day. But I have gone from tent to tent and from one tabernacle to another. Wherever I have moved about with all Israel, have I ever spoken a word to any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, Israel. And I've been with you wherever you've gone, and I've cut off all your enemies from before you, and I've made you a name like the name of the great men who are on the earth. We'll pause there. It's a good stop point there. So David, we got to give David credit. In ministry of 35 years being a pastor, I often find myself, I'm like, since it's been my vocation off and on during that time, you do what you have to do, but sometimes you only do what you have to do. And sometimes we're like that spiritually, like, well, you know, I know the Lord wants me to go to church, I'll go to church. I know the Lord wants me to give, so I'll give. I know I should be serving in ministry, so I'll serve it in ministry for a season or whatever. And it's not like we do it begrudgingly, but sometimes we do it like, hey, this is what we know we should do, and God's going to bless us. But I think what really brings joy to the Lord is when we're like, hey, I want to do even more. Like, I want to do even more. I want to take it to another level. Like, I want to do even more. You think maybe, again, for Pastor Chuck at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, there, after all have been established with the Calvary movement, there in the 80s, people are planting Calvary chapels all over the country and all over the world. There in the late 80s, he realizes that Greg Laurie is really rising up as an evangelist. And, and Chuck, Pastor Chuck says, hey, let's, let's, let's do something more. And some of you were even there at Pacific Amphitheater. I believe it was 88. Yeah, well, Jennifer and I came up together. I'll never forget. And, and Greg Lloyd did his first Harvest Crusade at the Pacific Amphitheater. And it was amazing because it was packed. And he gave this altar call. And all these people came forward. And Jennifer and I were there, like the first year of our marriage, going like, whoa, this is awesome. And then before you knew it, the next year they're at a stadium. And then there's the Harvest Band and all the Harvest Band cassette tapes and then CDs. There was always that vision with Pastor Chuck to be faithful in the present, but to go for more, to go for more. 
And we have to give David credit here because he is going for more. He's like, okay, I've got these killer houses. I got multiple homes and I, they're really nice homes. The best developers and contractors build my homes. I'm the king. It's rolling. I've got a great administration. Life is good. But, you know, the ark is in that tent right there. Like, I'm in this cedar house, and God's presence is in the tent. I don't know. Like, what's the next thing to really go forward with the Lord? So he gets this idea like, hey, I want to build a house for the Lord. The idea itself is noble and noteworthy, and it's commendable. But as I found in my own life, and maybe you found it in your life, Just because we have a great idea or a vision from something with the Lord doesn't mean that we're called to do that with the Lord. We think of the Apostle Paul. He feels led to go to Bithynia, and he's got a burden to go to Bithynia. We already know his life verse is to his life, his mission of his life, his core value of his life is to go preach the gospel where the gospel's never been preached. So here's an area you can go. There's a whole world out there for Paul the Apostle. So he heads toward Bithynia, and we're told that twice the Holy Spirit forbid him from going there. And he had to turn around, and then they went to Ephesus, and the Lord, well, the Lord told him not Bithynia, then the Lord shut the door on Ephesus next after that. And then he had the dream where the man says, come to Macedonia, modern Greece, Europe, and come here. What's interesting, if you know your Bible, is when Peter writes his letter, years later, 1 Peter, he addresses the believers in Bithynia. So, Obviously, someone did go to Bithynia and preach the gospel because there's believers and there's a community of believers in Bithynia, but it wasn't Paul. It wasn't Paul. We'll see later on, and we might go much deeper in this, that it was in David's heart to build the temple, and God commended him that it was in his heart to build the temple, but it just wasn't for him. Now, in Chronicles, we don't read why God says no. We know later on with Scripture from Samuel that God said because he's a man of blood from war, a lot of violent war, he couldn't build the temple. It was just, it was just not right. It's not right. This is, he can't do it all, right? Remember we saw Uzziah, the, the, the king, wanted to go in and be the high priest as well and do the tabernacle and do the offerings, and he got leprosy. He can't do it all, even if you want to be or want to. And even if your motives are good, because David had good motives, because God said, and that's in your heart, it's a good thing, but it's not your thing. And this reminds us that sometimes there's something that's in our heart, but it's not, it's a good thing. I mean, you, you see a ministry, you see a need, that's a good thing. It's good to be aware of needs and have a burden or a vision. All the people who are trying to get rich so they can leave it behind, they put a high premium on ideas and thinking of new ideas and creative ideas and ideas that will make money, and then multiplying the, the delivery of those ideas to the consumer base. In fact, really, if you ask the richest people on planet Earth what's the most important thing, uh, quite a few of them will say, first or in their top three, ideas. All these tech stocks that have lost so much value in recent years, they're basically built upon hiring people that have good ideas, and they're buying the ideas, though they've not yet produced things with those ideas. That's why they're first to go when things are hard because they have no tangible asset that's producing wealth. They're, they're investing ideas. But in the body of Christ, we have the mind of the Lord, so God will put things on our heart and we'll see things. And, and if we're just sensitive to the Lord, we might say like, wow, there's a real need in this church, especially in larger churches this happens, for this. And I've got ideas. So we want to be open to that. But sometimes, you know, if the Lord closes the door, that's okay too. 
Like you feel like, oh, I want to be a missionary, you go here and there, and, you, and then you get in and start thinking about it, like, oh, the Lord might say it's not for you. That's okay. So the main point here is that David had a really good idea. He had a good motive because the Lord tells us through Scripture he had a good motive, and it is a good idea. Someone is going to build the temple, his son, but it's not for him. A mark of maturity as we grow in the Lord is recognizing, not just discerning and recognizing vision and goals and good ideas, but identifying which ones are not ours. The way I've been improving in teaching is not by adding. I've been improving in teaching by subtracting. Quality over quantity, less is more. I'm not trying to say as much as I used to in 45 minutes. I'm line item editing. I'm trying to polish what I'm saying. So really, Sam, Brandon, Haley, all of our Bible teachers, you guys know that the key to the Bible study is not building content, it really is editing content and realizing, I can look at a text like this and believe me, in chapter 17, I saw like six, seven applications. I got it down to three. I eliminated applications, but I might be holding one in my back pocket for Saturday topically, right? So, WG, body of Christ. It's good the Lord gives you a vision or a thought or an idea or it comes in your mind but, you know, it says in Proverbs to, you know, trust him with all your heart, lean not on understanding, and let him direct your path. And let him confirm that it's what he has for you. Whether it's ministry, relationships, business ventures. You know, there's a lot of good ideas out there and good things, but we need to know which one is ours. And so it's okay when the Lord says, no, that's not you. And that's what David learned. And again, I tell you, God said no, and God didn't, it doesn't, we don't, we're not told here why God said no later on, we're told from other scripture, but God says a good thing. And that really actually brings us to another thing in this passage, where God says in verse 7, I took you from the sheepfold, and, and from following the sheep, to be ruler of my people. So really what we want to continue to focus on in our life, is what, that real work of God in our life to not forget what he took us from because he's taken us to, and we've been talking a lot about this lately, that I took you from being a shepherd, chasing the sheep around the field as a teenager. But we do know, and God knew with David, that he fought the bear and fought the lion, and the Lord delivered him from both. It was on his resume, his teenage job resume, teenage job resume to take on Goliath when he stood before the king. Well, here's my resume. I fought the bear, and I killed him. I fought the lion, and I killed him, and the Lord is with me for both. Therefore, I'm qualified to take on Goliath, for the Lord will be with me to do that as well. He started out chasing the sheep for his dad, was faithful. But really, God had such a bigger picture. He was this, but God had a plan for that. He's chasing his dad's sheep as the youngest of all the boys in the family. But ultimately, in the fields of Judea, God's molding this young boy to be a shepherd of his entire congregation, the Lord's people, Israel. It's pretty awesome. And it reminds us all here tonight that are older, it's good to never forget what God has brought us from and brought us to. Because if anyone be in Christ, a new creation, old things have passed away, all things are new. So I love how, like, David's like, oh, Lord, I wanted to do this. And God's like, look, I'm over all this. It's like Jesus said to the apostles, you did not choose me, I chose you, that you should go and bear fruit and your fruit should remain. Like, oh, but I want to build a temple. No, no, it's not about what you want to do, it's about what I've already done. And it's about really what, I'm, what I've already done and what we're going to do together going forward. And so 
Where God says no to David, that's okay, but also in the very same word of the Lord to David, he gives him this comforting word where he basically just says, I took you. You're not building me a house, and we're going to get to it. I'm building you a house. That's why the book of Romans is so wonderful in the Bible. Because the book of Romans is eight chapters of what God has done for us, amazing grace and being saved by grace. It's really important to understand for eight chapters all the beauty of God's sovereignty over the human experience and how he made a way to save us. We just covered that a couple weeks ago on Tuesday night. It's not until you get to chapter 12 where it says, you know, now therefore, my brethren, I beseech you by the mercies of the Lord that you present yourselves as living sacrifices to the Lord, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed or transformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So the application for a believer in the book of Romans doesn't come till chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It's like 11 chapters of God's sovereignty and what he's done. Ephesians is a smaller version of that. Three chapters of Ephesians is God's sovereignly done this, God's done this, he's done that, he's made a way, we're saved by grace, we're his workmanship. He lays out all this stuff. And then in chapter four, he goes, okay, now let's endeavor to maintain the unity of the spirit and let's talk about what a healthy body of Christ looks like. So even like sometimes, and I'm especially this way, I'm a doer. You know, a lot of us around here are doers. You know, we want to get things done. And I... And it's like, oh, and like, Lord's like, why don't you just receive? And no, just remember, when you were, when you were waxing your surfboard, that single fin in 1973, I, I already saw the pipe masters and everything that was coming after that. You didn't choose me, I chose you. And I chose you from here to go there. It's kind of funny, I was at Tamarack Beach a couple weeks ago with Jennifer for our 35th anniversary. And it's just a sleepy day in springtime at Tamarack Beach after the rain, that last rain we got. And I was like, looking at this beach, and there's no one there. I took pictures of an empty beach, and I thought, it's like, did it really happen? Was it really the 70s, and this is where I dreamed, and all those things? And yeah, it really did. It really did happen that way. I'd go back to Pipe, and be like, did it really happen? Yeah, it really did. But it began at Tamarack Beach in that lower parking lot in 1973, when I bought a surfboard for my 12th birthday across the street from Tamarack Beach. It's a good reminder, because this is very personal. This is David and the Lord. You catching this? This is God and David getting personal, like a parent with adult children. There's all dad, I got a great idea. I'm going to build a temple, because I got a bunch of houses, and they're awesome, and you need an awesome house. like, hey, son, I got a better idea. Let's remember when you were a little whippersnapper, I, I called you this way. And I called you to do all these things. You, it's not you that's been doing the doing. You've been self-determined to obey me, but I've been doing the doing the doing because it's God who wills and works in us for his good pleasure you're not working for my good pleasure you're working from my good pleasure in my good pleasure you're not presenting yourself as a workmanship as you define it you're my workmanship as I define it and it's a good reminder because the Lord's going to say some powerful things to David right after this and so this opening uh, dialogue of this conversation like David's like oh and Nathan's like, that's a great idea. I'm a prophet. You should do it. And God's like, Nathan, you shouldn't have said that. Tell him, don't do it. It's not what I have for him. I have other things for David. And that's someone else's ministry, which, of course, is a whole other topic, that when we're striving to do something we're not called to do, we might be taking it from someone else who is called to do. But the beauty of this dialogue coming from the Lord is that we know God said, no, this is not you. And he reminds David, I'm the one guiding you. I'll, I'll lead you. And I'll direct you. And that's very comforting and encouraging to all of us tonight. 
Because God's going to see it through. There's so many New Testament passages like, he who began a good work and you will be faithful to complete it, right? Like he's, you know, we just sometimes it's like, it's okay. Like it's, we're superheroes with Jesus. We just got to make sure we're flying in the right direction. And the way when we're flying in the right direction is to acknowledge him in all of our ways and let him direct our steps. Now we read on. So that, that opening dialogue is fascinating. And then God takes it to another level. God's got, David's like, I'm going to build your house. And God's like, no, I'm going to build you a house. And he goes, way more than what you're thinking, because his ways are so above ours. Verse 9, moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own. Also, I will subdue all your enemies. Furthermore, I tell you that the Lord will build you a house, and it shall be when your days are fulfilled, when you must go to be with your fathers, that I will set up your seed after you, who will be of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son, and I will not take away my mercy away from him as I took it from him who is before you. That, of course, is a reference to King Saul. And I will establish him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. God's like, oh, that's a great idea, David. I'm going to one-up you. You know, you're kind of like, hey, I got a great idea. Like, yo, I got a, a much bigger idea. It's like if we're kids, we're thinking, mom and dad, I got an idea. Let's go to the park. And like, no, we're thinking Disneyland, you know, back in the 70s when there's not lines, right? Like, you see, like the Lord's always, the Lord's always got an upgrade of the vision and the plan. So when we think like, oh, like you can't outbid God. You just got to understand that. You just, he's able to do above and beyond all that we could think or ask. You can never outbid God. He's got a trillion galaxies, and he's managing a billion people. And if he was managing a trillion people, he'd have it under control, right? I'm like, you can't outbid God. I can't wait for eternity, and we see the glory, and we're in glory, and like, how it really is, like, man, I'm, I'm fired up for it. You should be, too. This is all just like a black and white veil, like a fuzzy, like a Charlie Chaplin movie, you know? You know, it's like that. The real deal is like, wow, I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. Many people we love are already there in glory. And they're in their awesomeness. But we got to finish strong till we get our awesomeness. I love this. Speaking of finishing strong. Oh, did you see verse 11? It shall be when your days are fulfilled when you must go. Oh, human beings planet earth God just reminding us our days will be fulfilled and we must go how's that for reality hanging over all of us tonight hey Joey when your days are fulfilled you must go it's not a negotiable like hey Lord I'm thinking my days aren't fulfilled maybe I shouldn't go no your days are fulfilled and it's time to go David said the days are appointed me when as yet there was none of them and then when they're done they're done it's written in your book all together, those days that are for me. David's like, I'm going to build your house. God, God's like, listen, when your days are fulfilled and you must go, I'm going to keep building your house because it's my house. You're thinking a nice place for the Ark of the Covenant. I'm thinking my son's coming in glory to fulfill all the prophecies that have already happened and will happen to rule and reign on planet Earth as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. David, you see the Ark in a tent I see Revelation 19, King of kings and Lord of lords on his robe coming in glory with the saints of all previous generations. 
to establish the kingdom. You see an old tent over there on the top of the hill. I see my son splitting the Mount of Olives in glory. You see hamstrung horses. I see horses with bells on them that say holiness to the Lord. God's always got an upgrade for us, body of Christ, WG. We see this. He's like, no, <laughs> see that. Isn't it a great conversation? Because people often think God's against them. God is for us. He is for us and your children and your children's children to a thousand generations. God is for humanity. He gave us his son to die in our place. You can't say for you any more than the gospel. It's the ultimate for you. There is no greater for you than Christ crucified, Christ risen. He is for us. He's, Hebrews says they're cheering us on. It's, it's a home game, even though it feels like a, we're a road game, but we're like a college team where there's a little section of all of our people maybe cheering us on. We only see that, but really over all of it is the kingdom and everyone in glory cheering us on. That's what it says in Hebrews in the New Testament. He's for us, and God is saying to David, look, that'd be pretty cool. Like, it's a good thing you want to build a, a, a building for my ark and all that. But listen, your son's going to do that. We, we saw that. Your son's going to do that. Because when your days are fulfilled... And you must go. Man, isn't that the reality of sin and the consequence of Adam and original sin? In Adam, all sin and die. Hebrews tells us it's appointed unto men to die once, and then the judgment. We give an account. No matter how much people don't want to think about death, leaving planet Earth, leaving all their wealth behind and their loved ones, it is the reality that we should acknowledge every morning when we wake up and we talk to the people we love, and even the people who don't love us. And it's the reality behind everything we do, every nail we pound, every sale we make, every service we provide. It is the reality over all of our lives. This phrase, it shall be when your days are fulfilled and when you must go to be with your fathers. And what did David say at the end of his life? I go the way of all men. That's right. Just like his father Jesse and Boaz and those that came before him. Even Judah himself, the tribe of Judah, his ultimate forefather in the line of Israel. He, he goes the same way as Father Abraham, as do we all. And it's just a reminder, like, to be ready when we go. And to know that when we go, that it's not the end of the kingdom and it's not the end of the work. Now, we've talked a lot about this lately, so I won't belabor this. But just before we move on, God said, I will establish, I will establish, I will establish. Okay, so you look here at uh, verse 12. I will set up your seed, your offspring after you. I will establish his kingdom. I will establish his throne forever. And then farther down, verse 14, I will establish him in my house and in my kingdom forever. Now, this is a messianic promise. Of course, Solomon was an amazing king, the son of David. And now we have a dynasty because that's literally what it means in the Hebrew. I'm going to establish a dynasty, the Davidic dynasty before the Babylonian captivity went for 400 years. It is a dynasty of all those kings we studied when we were in 2 Kings, the 19 kings of Judah, good, bad, and ugly, and everything in between, but they, they went 400 years, a long time. It's longer than we've been a country, that's for sure. But really, the dynasty isn't about Jeconiah and the, the promises being broken, because he, you know, that's another portion of all that, that Jeconiah was that last king where God said, no, his descendant can't be there. So the promised Messiah, the ultimate king, has to come from a different line. Thus, we know that Jesus comes through Mary from a different line than Solomon, for he comes from the line of Nathan, David's other son. So it 
circumvents Jeconiah where the line was cursed that came from Solomon, comes this way. And it came to pass. So a son did reign. The sons did reign, and then ultimately Jesus came. Jesus is that king that's prophesied here, and Isaiah and Jeremiah and other Old Testament prophets make it very clear he is this king. So, yeah, it was sort of fulfilled in Solomon and in the coming dynasty of hundreds of years, but it's ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ when he came, and it will be fully fulfilled when he comes again. And I don't completely understand, nor do I think anyone does, all the intricate details of the second coming of Jesus Christ. But this I do know. He said he's coming back. He said he's coming again. And he's coming to rule and reign. So whatever time and space and matter looks like in the realm of eternity, when the king from eternity comes, I'm pretty sure uh, it's hard to comprehend for our minds. And I'd sometimes look at Ezekiel and this and that, and I'd try and put it all together and the boom booms and the bang bangs and this, that, and everything else. Listen, man, you're going to split the Mount of Olives, and the horses have little things that say holiness to the Lord. That's for sure. I fall back on what I do know. He's the great king. And what we let God do in our life on a daily basis, what we let God do on a daily basis, we are a part of the kingdom here and now, but we're sowing seeds for the kingdom when we're gone. And we've talked about this because once we step into eternity, all that we've done is now passed on where we've sown the seed of grace, where we've sown the seeds of forgiveness, where we've sown the seeds of economics, time and energy, where we've sown the gospel, where we've sown serving others. It goes on. It goes on and on and on. And that's why we want to be sowing bountifully, particularly of our time and invest in people. Because people, we leave people we love stay behind. There are people here tonight, I've done your relatives' memorials. Right now, I'm looking out, I see multiple people, I've done your family's memorials. They left, you're here. Our time is not fulfilled. So our time to sow and grow is still going. And whatever they put in us with their faith, it is moving on through us. In writing my book, the Crystal O'Rourke story is very famous where we're on the plane together. My former rival, the best surfer in California, dying of cancer, sharing Christ with me. It's in movies. It's a, made, it's a whole child. It's part of my life story in my book. But there's another time when I was flying from South Africa back to JFK. And it was late at night. It was a red-eye flight. And a man leaned over to me, and he asked me what I was reading. I was just reading something because before you had the entertainment consoles. And he said, have you heard about Jesus Christ and what he's done for you? He had a Texas accent. And he shared Christ with me. What he didn't know was I was so stupid at that age, I had cannabis from South Africa in my carry-on bags. And I'm about to come to the United States carrying cannabis to JFK. I mean, stupid was stupid is, right? You know, Forrest Gump, like, just, you can't, like, man, God is so merciful, but you did not choose me, I chose you, okay? The guy shared Jesus with me, and as he shared Jesus with me, I just had this thought, I should throw away the weed that I've got. And he shared the gospel with me. I got up and I threw away the weed and I landed in JFK not stressed out that I was a drug smuggler. Not a lot of drugs, but just stupid enough, right? We actually became friends. We kept in touch. My career was in a slump. After I made the OP finals with Tom Curran, we, we had postcards and stuff. I don't know whatever happened. We lost touch. That man took the courage to reach across the aisle I'm on the aisle, window side. He's in the middle four, 747, old school, this 70s, 80s. And he shares the gospel with me. And that put me in motion with a good thing to do. 
In fifth grade, I went to McIntyre Elementary School during the Jesus Revolution. In my book, I talk about how the Catholics would take us out of mass, the kids across the street, to a house where these college students taught us Bible studies about Jesus from the Good News for Modern Man New Testament translation with the stickmen. Many of you remember that. Because the pictures of Jesus were kind of like stickmen, you know? And I always remember it. Somehow I ended up going to an off-campus Bible study every week in fifth grade. They would pick us up at our classroom. The, the, the school looked like a prison. Old, you know, East Coast, red bricks. I, I always called it the prison. You know, Joy Brand's mind, how I wear a prison. You know, my teacher's the warden. It was like a movie, right? But once a week, they would come get us. And I'd walk, we'd walk out, and we'd go down the first floor. We'd walk across the street, and there was a house. And this woman would teach these Bible studies to us. She had short hair, college age. She was a college student. This is during the Jesus Revolution. It's 1971-72, the year my dad's gone, serving our country in Okinawa. That woman for a year taught New Testament gospel Bible studies to me. To this day, we're in a classroom setting in a house. They set up these desks like a school. And I thought, you know, I think back and I was like, was that a Catholic thing? Was that a catechism thing? Or was it an evangelical thing? Did my mom sign me up for that? Like, how did that even happen? Like, and I thought it was, to me, in my mind, I was like, hey, at least I'm not in the prison with the warden. So I always felt like it was an upgrade. It was almost like recess, but not quite. And there's about 20 students. We walk across and we go to this Bible study. Who was that woman that taught Joey Brand in fifth grade about Jesus? Whatever became of her life? I can tell you one thing. Her year of sowing the gospel in a fifth grader is right here in front of you teaching the word of God on Tuesday night in 2023. Our days will be fulfilled, so make it count till they are. That's the moral of the story. See, you're gone. Uh, they're in my book. There's three testimonies of people who shared Christ with me. Chris O'Rourke, Adam 12, the pipeline surfer, and Yancey Spencer. All three of those men are in eternity. And one shared it at 75, in 1975, the opening ceremonies of the U.S. Surfing Championships. The other right before my heat in the 1979 Pipeline Masters. And the other one on the plane ride to Australia in 1981, going to the world tour as a seated surfer for the first time in my career. All three of those men are in eternity. And now their story is going to be told in my book, Beyond the Dream. Because you can't tell all this in a movie, but you can tell it in a book. These divine appointments. See, God wants to use all of us to fulfill our days with divine appointments. It might just be the Texas guy reaching across the aisle and how he saved me from maybe going to jail or anything else that might have bad come from that. But I acted upon what he spoke to me to my own benefit between Monrovia, Liberia, and JFK. Because we just refueled in Monrovia, Liberia. The kingdom is so much bigger than us, and every little conversation, every little act, a year investing in fifth graders, it all adds up, and they're gone. Like Adam 12, Christopher working, they're gone, and Yancey Spencer, but I'm still here, and what they did is still going, because the kingdom's still going. The kingdom doesn't stop when we step into eternity. The kingdom is so much bigger than us being alive or dead. It goes on. It, came, it was happening before us, before in time eternal, eternal, and it goes on after us in time eternal. And in time, space, and matter, it keeps going till Jesus comes back in glory. So be encouraged. Now we read on. So David has this dialogue. He's like, wow, that's crazy. So verse 16, then David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you brought me this far? And yet this 
Yet this was a small thing in your sight, O God. You have also spoken to your servant's house for a great while to come. In other words, when I'm gone. And have regarded me according to the rank of man of high degree, O Lord. But what more can David say to you for the honor of your servant? For you know your servant, O Lord, for your servant's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness and making known all these great things. O Lord, there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you. According to all that we have heard with our ears, And who is like your people, Israel, the one nation on earth in whom God went to redeem for himself as a people to make for yourself a name by great and awesome deeds, by driving out nations from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. For you have made your people and Israel your very own forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. And now, O Lord, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, let it be established forever and do as you've said Let it be established that your name may be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, is Israel's God. And let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O my God, have revealed to your servant that you will build him a house. Therefore, your servant has found in his heart to pray before you. And now, Lord, you are God, and you've promised this goodness to your servant. And now you've been pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue before you forever. For you have blessed it, O Lord, and it shall be blessed forever. Oh, Jeff Anderson sang our song tonight. Lord, bless thee and keep thee to your children, to your children's children in a thousand generations. This is what David's saying here. He's like, oh, I'm blown away. I got to go sit. It implies he went like to the tabernacle. I just got to go sit before the Lord. I just got to stop talking and thinking for a little while and just sit before the Lord and really think this through. Wow. Who am I? What am I? How am I? Your people, Israel. Why? Of all the nations on earth. And, oh, this is crazy. But he just accepts it and receives it like the gospel of grace, like the good things of the Lord, like the promises of God for disciples of Jesus Christ. He just accepts it. He believes it and he accepts it and he receives it. And I just love his ending because he's like, oh, Lord, wow, Israel, everything is... Basically saying, I'm blown away. And that's what the promises of God should do for us. Just blow us away. But then I just love it. He's like, man, God, and you're good. You are good. Remember, it was David who would say, taste and see that the Lord is good in the Psalms. And he was like, Lord, you've promised this goodness. By the way, it's impossible for God to lie, right? God even says, so I can't lie. I don't lie. You lie, but I don't lie. It's against my nature. I, I can't. I don't. God is light in him. is no darkness at all. So when God promises goodness, body of Christ, WG, he, he means it. David said, see the Lord is good. He is good. God has promised goodness for our lives. Now, he hasn't promised exemption from trials, tribulations, testings, and through hardships. Because in the New Testament, we're told that those things happen in life. But we're promised that they refine us in life and make us more like Christ for our good. And in the end, it's always goodness. As it says in James, we see the end that the Lord intended with Job's life, that it was good. So count all joy when you fall into various trials and tribulations, and then they produce patience and they strengthen your faith. David went through a lot of trials and hardships even before he got to this, and he's got more coming. But what a declaration of truth, because he sees the whole sovereign plan of God, the greatness of the kingdom. He probably sees Jesus in it all as well, the, I mean, so he, he gave us Psalm 22, Jesus on the cross, right? So who knows exactly the full scope of what he saw here, but he saw the glory, the kingdom, eternity. And he was like, man, you've promised goodness to your servant and you will deliver. 
And because you promised goodness to your servant, you promised to bless my house. And in blessing it, you will bless it. And it will be blessed forever. I think, speaking for the older people here, as you get older, you really are thinking like how to finish strong and how to pass blessings on to your adult children. Right? Yes and amen. And, you know, some walk with the Lord, some don't. Some make really good decisions. You're like, wow, that's awesome. And some you're like, what, what are you thinking? Like, yeah, but you can't call time out in life because they're adults and they're making choices. You get wiser as you become grandparents. Like, you just pick your battles and, you know, you just realize, like, hey, we spoil the grandkids and we pray for the grandkids. If we get them to church, we get them to church. Right, that's kind of like the game plan as grandparents. Like, you know, spoil them, pray for them, and get them to church if you can. And you just do the best you can. But like the song we were singing, the Lord bless thee and keep thee to your children's children, your children's children, because this is biblical. And so David is just seeing like what will come of his children and his children's children, because he did have hardship in his household that he, was his doing. Sometimes we're afraid to step into eternity because we're afraid how it's going to be for our children when we're gone, right? Do you know that? Like you, you still want to protect your adult boys, you know, like because ah, they're boys and yeah. You know, but when we step into eternity, we step into eternity. And they got they to, between them and the Lord, like as the author and finisher of faith, we got to, when we are called, when our days are fulfilled, and we just, we got to give everything to the Lord that, that very moment and realize our God's a blessing God. And if the last thing we do in the last 30 seconds we're alive is pronounce blessings on your adult, your spouse, if you're leaving one behind, forgiveness for people that have hurt you, <laughs> ask forgiveness if you're still bitter, and you're going to pronounce blessings on your kids and your children's children. That's what you're going to do. And if you, have, if you get the bonus 15 seconds, pronounce blessings on the body of Christ. Pronounce blessings on the president. Governor, just start going for everybody like a national day of prayer. And finish strong. Yes and amen, right? So that's how we want to look at it because our God's a blessing God. The blessings don't stop because we're leaving. They go on in a future generation. And David proclaims that in the end of this passage. So now it shifts gears from this whole thing with David and God and this conversation to David and his military victories. The first wave of them. After this, it came to pass that David attacked the Philistines, subdued them, took Gath and his towns from the hand of the Philistines. Then he defeated Moab, and the Moabites became David's servants and brought tribute. And David defeated Hazadazer, king of Zobah, as far as Hamath, as he went to establish his power by the river Euphrates. That's way to the north, moving toward Turkey. David took from him 1,000 chariots, 7,000 horsemen, 20,000 foot soldiers, and David hamstrung all the chariot horses, except that he spared enough of them for 100 chariots. When the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hazadazar, king of Zobah, David killed 22,000 of the Syrians. Then David put garrisons in Syria of Damascus, and the Syrians became David's servants and brought tribute. So the Lord preserved David wherever he went. That's the key phrase. The Lord preserved David wherever he went. And David took the shields of the gold that were of the servants of Hadadazer and brought them to Jerusalem. Also from Tibhath and from Chun, cities of Havadazer, David brought a large amount of bronze with which Solomon made the bronze seed, the pillars and the articles of bronze. So those were used for the tabernacle in the next generation. Verse 9, Now when Tohu, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated all the army of Havadazer, king of Zobah, he sent Hodoram, his son, to king David to greet him and bless him because he fought against Hadadazer and defeated him. For Hadadazer had been at war with Tohu. And Hadoram brought with him all kinds of articles of gold, silver, and bronze. King David also dedicated these to the Lord, along with the silver and the gold that he had brought from all these nations, from Edom, from Moab, from the people of Ammon, from the Philistines, and from the Amalek. 
Moreover, Abishai, the son of Zerai, killed 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt, and he also put garrisons in Edom, and all the Edomites became David's servants, and the Lord preserved David wherever he went. So David reigned over all Israel and administered judgment and justice to all his people. Joab, the son of Zariah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ehud, was recorder. Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Abimelech, the son of Abathar, were the priest. Shavsha was the scribe. Benaniah, the son of Jehoadiah, was over the Cherethites. Uh, those are men from Crete, the island of Crete, and the Pelethites. And David's sons were chief ministers at the king's side. So it was a family business, right? He's got all those sons, and you put them to work and figure out which one is the most capable one to administrate and maybe be a future king. And of course, as we know, Adonijah wanted to be king, but Solomon was the one called to be king. In reading this chapter here, it just, we might say, wow, like this is gnarly, people conquering people. This goes on all the time. What do you think the current wars are about? What do you think the war in Ukraine's about? It's about the U.S. and NATO and our interests against Russia and China and their interests. The world's always at war. Everyone's trying to control someone else to their own best interest on a national level to preserve the benefit and quality of life they have. That's what David's doing here. See, America always tries to export democracy, whereas, say, China, they don't care if people become uh, communists. They just want to control Africa and the wealth of Africa. So yeah, this is how the world works. This is how it's working in 2023. It's how it'll be working when we're gone and we're in glory. It's going to always be this way in the human experience. So David has the full extension of Israel's kingdom. It's far extended. It's a good, it's good. And it's not like he's really trying, like, he's not trying to take over the Syrians or the Edomites, but he doesn't want them causing trouble. It's kind of like what America does with all of our clandestine things and upfront things that we do. We're doing all kinds of things at any given time to maintain our quality of life so we can come here tonight and have our quality of life against the threats that would be against us to offset them. So that's what David did. He did what governments do. But what I love about David here is he's not corrupt in what he's doing because most governments are very corrupt in these kind of things. I love what he's doing. Most human history, when men and women conquer other kingdoms, they take the wealth and keep the wealth. I mean, you think, all you have to do is think of people like famous dictators and from our timeline where they do this kind of stuff and eventually like Ceausescu, you know, in Romania. Or it's just, it's just human, this is the way it works. But David gets the wealth and what's he doing? He's taking it to another level with the Lord. He's taking his increased blessing on behalf of his job as the king and the people of Israel. And what's he doing? He's taking the bronze and giving it to the Lord in a future generation. He's taking the gold and the silver and he's giving it to the Lord for the work of the Lord. I just love this because David has always got a bigger vision. And a final thought on this. Because king, men and women come and go. The wealth stays behind. It's always temporal and it's often perishable as well. And it's often perceived as wealth whether it's wealth or not. Right? Like, the dollar's perceived as wealth, but is based upon the confidence of our country. So, wealth is a perception. It's perishable. And for sure, whatever it is, even when it's tangible, gold or real estate, it gets left behind and it gets redistributed. So, you might as well give it to the Lord. Right? I mean, when it's all said and done, like, we just, we want to be generous people. See, here, the reality is this. Whenever we're generous with people, with our time, our energy, and our resources, and we're, and we're doing it in Jesus' name, we're sowing to the kingdom 
and we can't take any of it with us. So whatever we're doing with our time and energy and resources for Jesus' name, it transcends dimensions. It's a universal spiritual law of all dimensions, like gravity is in time, space, and matter, is the blessing upon giving. You can never go wrong when you're giving in Jesus' name. It's going to always bless you in time and eternity. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's as sure as gravity in time, space, and matter, but it transcends time, space, and matter. And this wealth, what's interesting about it, peculiar interesting, when Nebuchadnezzar conquered Israel, uh, Judah 400 years later, he took it away. Then when the Medo-Persians conquered him, they took it away. And then when Alexander the Great conquered the Medo-Persians, he took it away. Because you can't take it with you, and someone else will always end up with it. So this part of David's conquest reminds us that you can't take it with you, and the wisest thing we can do is keep the Lord in front of all of our wealth of time and energy and resources and just keep on sowing to the kingdom with who we are and know that that's where the blessings are. Yes and amen. amen.